But welcome. We're so glad you're here. If you are a guest among us, my name's Ilsian. I get to be part of the pastoral team here at Evergreen. Um, and this is, this is our faith community, and this is where we get to gather and do life together. And, um, you know, last week, my husband and I, Carlos and Charlie, we uh, were in Washington celebrating a wedding of a dear, well, she's my sister, really, not only in Christ, but adopted. She, they kind of got adopted into, I got adopted into their family, so she became my white sister. I love it. And so she's getting married, so we got to celebrate her wedding, and um, we're so grateful uh, to be here um, today. But we had Natalia preach a good message. If you weren't here, make sure you listen to it. Yes, let's give it up for Natalia. We had Micaiah lead us in prayer and service, so thank you so much. Thank you for being a church that believes in the next generation. Um, and we are starting a new series today called Making Room for Different. And talking about making room, my uh, brother who lives in California, Carlos and I twice now, have had the opportunity to go back to visit them with Charlie Joy. And see, when I was single and I'd spend the night over their place after Christmas or something, I'd get the couch. Like, they're like, yeah, just sleep on the couch. You're good, you know, and I didn't mind it. But with a husband and a child, it's kind of hard to sleep on the couch. So what they did, and see, they have a beautiful five-bedroom, two-story house in Santa Clarita. And what they did, because during the pandemic, their guest bedroom became an office. Because working from home was a challenge without an office with three little ones running around. So they converted their guest bedroom into an office, which meant when we went back to visit, we didn't have a guest bedroom. But my brother was really determined to have us stay with them. See, because my nephews get excited. They are now older. Back then, they were three, three-year-old twins and a five-year-old nephew. So they were really excited for us to go back. And so they, they would, you know, count down the days that Thea and Theo are coming over. You know, they're going to stay with us. And so they were really, really excited. And baby cousin, we get to meet baby cousin Charlie. And so they were excited. So my brother's like, no, no, you, you have to stay with us. And I was like, okay, well, do you have an inflatable mattress? Like, what's the situation here? And they're like, no, what we're going to do is we're going to give you our master bedroom. I got to sleep in a king bed for the very first time in a very long time. I've never owned a king bed, so I was so excited. I was like, oh, this is the life, you know? And so they gave us their bedroom, which meant they had to pre-plan their wardrobe for the next four days because they lost access to their bedroom. And what they did is they went and they slept with my nephews in their rooms. I love that. I love that they were so determined to have us stay with them that they made room for us. And see, in this series, we'll be discovering that making room requires intentionality. You have to be intentional about making room. And not only that, but to make room, you gotta be willing to get uncomfortable. See, I woke up happy with a good back, no pain. My brother, on the other hand, needed a few Advils the next day. And see, I love that they were willing to get uncomfortable to be able to make room for us. 
And in this series, if we are going to be a people that live out the mission of God to love God and love people, we got to be willing to learn to make room for the things of the kingdom of God in our lives. And this is why we're talking about this. And see, what's important or valued in God's kingdom is different than what is typically valued. See, we need a kingdom perspective at every moment of our lives. And not just an earthly perspective, but because we live on earth, it's so easy to lose the kingdom perspective and just think about the earthly perspective. But see, we see this contrast in kingdoms in the story found in Matthew 2 where King Herod, he finds out that there is a newborn king. So what does he do? He is the king of Judea, so he wants to hold on to power. And what he does then is he holds on to power by going and killing the boys that were two years or younger. Because he wanted to make sure that whoever this new king was, he was going to protect his kingdom. And see, it's such a contrast. Because in Jesus, we see that Jesus turns power upside down. See, Jesus doesn't hold on to power. Jesus releases power. And I love that about him. Jesus makes room for children. So let's open our Bibles to Matthew 10, verses 13 through 16. Now, I beat you to it because I already had my Bible marked. So if you have your Bible, if you don't have your Bible, don't worry. We have a, we have a screen Bible up there. Hopefully the verse will come up. But Matthew, I mean Mark 10, chapter, uh, verses 13 through 16. Okay, we good? Got it? Okay. It says, one day... Some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. And then when Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on their heads, and blessed them. And then we're going to read Matthew 18. I know, two scripture readings back to back. It says, in Matthew 18, verses 1 through 4, it says, About that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of God. So we see this difference in how the kingdom of God is displayed to how an earthly kingdom would be. And see, making room for kids here is important at Evergreen Christian Center. And maybe you're here and you're like, well, I don't have any kids. But you know kids. There are kids in your life. Everywhere you go, I remember going to restaurants, 
as a single person, not being, you know, not, not having any kids, and seeing that kid, and I was like, man, that kid's wild. My kid's never going to do that. Well, that's not the story. Charlie is wild, too. But we have kids. We see kids. Kids are part of our life. So this teaching is for you, even if you don't have any kids. Because making rooms for kids is a kingdom value. Please help me welcome our kids' pastor, Kim Lawless. Good morning, friends. How's everybody doing today? Awesome. Well, I am so excited I get to be here today and share with you my passion. It was 27 years ago in July that uh, that we had moved from uh, Southern California and ended up in this little town called Cottage Grove and uh, had been there a year or so and they were looking for someone to oversee the kids ministry and had asked me to do it. And I remember having this moment and just saying, but God, I, I'm just a mom with some kids that's teaching Sunday school. I love Jesus, and I love kids. And he gave me a verse that to this day is the one that I stand on, and um, I want to read it for you today. It's John 15:16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. That has carried me through when I felt like I was the wrong person for the job. And here I am, it's been 12 years here at Evergreen, and I love what I get to do. And today I get to share a little bit about what happens down that hallway with our kids and our leaders. See, we believe that we can help kids have a foundation of faith. So no matter what happens through their life, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, they will know that God is real, that Jesus loves them, and that they have the power inside of them to influence the world around them. They are anchored in truth and hope. How do we do that? We, we have this saying that we, we say all the time. We want to create an environment where kids can't wait to come, and then when they're here, they don't want to leave. And we do that through hands-on discovery-based learning. We don't want them just to hear something. We want them to experience it. We always say this thing, head, heart, and hands. We get the kids saying it with us. Head, what do we want? Head, heart, and hands. And so we know God's word. We know the Bible, but then we internalize it. We believe it. Then we go out and do it. We're teaching this at the youngest age. I uh, got this summer, I got to be in our four and kindergarten class, and they were doing the story of the Good Samaritan. If you're not familiar with it, it's where a guy gets beat up, and uh, people walk walk right by. The ones who should have stopped keep walking. It was the most unlikely that stops and that helps and shows kindness. So since we were teaching that, we were like, we need to make this come alive. How can we do it? So our awesome director that's back there that oversees our preschool kindergarten, she had baby dolls laying out on a table. And there were little doctor, little uh, play doctor equipment, and, and there was cotton balls and all kinds of fun stuff. You know, we had little syringes. We were giving them their medicine. And, and, and then pretty soon, I became the patient. 
So I'm sitting there, and before I knew it, my arms are bandaged up. <laughs> you know, I can't move. I have bandages on me. But then I hear a little girl, and she starts saying, I can show you how to do this. I know how to do this. I was in the hospital 100 days. And I looked over, and I knew this little girl's story. She had been in the hospital a lot. In 2020, she was diagnosed with leukemia. And this little girl had lost her hair. She had had lots and lots of doctor's appointments. But in that moment, as I watched, I realized I was on holy ground. God was working. I was no longer the teacher. It was this little girl who sang, watch me. I know what it feels like for someone to show kindness. Now I'm going to show you what that looks like. And I was just amazed at how the kids followed her and watched. It was all fun and games until she came over and she shoved a Q-tip up my nose and went like this. <laughs> and I was like, oh! And before I could even respond, the other nostril got it. And I am not kidding. She pulls him, she looks at me and she said, I'm taking these to the lab. I said, no, no, those honey are going to the trash can. And then two seconds later, she said, open your mouth. And she had the little syringe that we were, you know, with the little dolls that we were playing with. So I opened my mouth. She shoots something in my mouth. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. What was that? I look over. We had a sensory table. And all the little boys were playing in it. Yes, that's what we do for kids ministry. <laughs> No, it, it was awesome, but the thing is, is we want to help kids own their own faith. In our fifth and sixth grade, our motto is own it, live it, share it. Because in fifth grade, it's that place, I remember my daughter did this, it's that place where kids start asking a lot of questions. Um, I was driving in the car with my daughter when she said, how do we know God is real? I'm like, great, I'm a kid's pastor and my daughter's asking this. <laughs> It was in that moment my heart quieted and the Lord said, it's her time. It's her time. It's Kelsey's time. She has to stand on her own two feet, Mom. So we want to create a place where kids can ask hard questions. And sometimes we may even say, we don't know. But let me tell you the God that I've experienced. We know it's the people down that hallway that are the influence to our kids. You know, I was thinking, I grew up in church. I was dedicated. I was there probably three times a week. My parent, I did have a, the glorious uh, upbringing of, of a faith home. And, and I, I really, I think during the pandemic, I was hearing a lot of talk, the church is going away. Church is not gonna, you know, you're not gonna meet anymore. And I was so upset and I thought, Lord, what, what, was it as a child that made me love church so much, love the community? And I literally would journal about this. And I can remember being a young kid, and you know what it was? It was you. It was seeing people that had gone ahead of me, that had stories. It gave me shoulders to stand on. It was seeing the next generation looking down and saying my name. It was having youth that were, they were cooler and a little ahead that they knew who I was. They were investing. Some of them were working in, our, in the kids' ministry when I was little. But it was 
it was you. And it was not only modeled at the church where I saw if somebody got hurt, if there was a tragedy, it was like I watched these people circle up and take care of each other. And not only in the church, but even at home. I can remember being at my grandma's house and her being in the kitchen and cooking up dinner and thinking, oh, I wonder what we're having. And she would say, no, this is for, you know, Sister Bradley. That's what we used to call him the church I grew up in, you know. We're going we're to go take this over to her. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Then she would say, get in the car. I watched it up close. I watched it up close. That's another one of our passions here is we believe the light of the church and the heart of the home need to work together. We get these kids an hour out of 168, maybe every week. But our families get them many, many, many more hours. And guys, I have to tell you, they're watching us. They're watching. So we've got lots of kids down here that come every week. They come, some of them come to two services because their, their parents are serving. And we need to reach those kids. They needed, just like Kim did, I needed someone outside my family that knew my name, that knew my story, that encouraged me, not because they had to, but they actually saw something in me. But then we also have um, kids that sometimes they come from very different situations. I was thinking about when I first started, I was um, in Cottage Grove, and uh, Erica found her way to our church. And Roy, you'll appreciate this because some of our kids are gregarious and loud. And Erica, when I met her, Cam, she would say. She would be at the church oftentimes before I was, and I was the first one there. She would be sitting on the steps waiting for me to get there because this was her safe place. This was a place where people knew her name and that she felt loved. I also knew I had a tiny window of time to get as much truth and hope into this little girl as I could. And she would show up, and I started having her help me. She, I gave her keys, and she'd open up the classroom, and she would turn on the heaters and set up the classes, and it wasn't long. Erica loved Jesus. I mean, when she sang the song, she gave everything she had. And that day when she said yes to Jesus... I didn't know where her life would take her, but I knew that little girl. I knew that little girl had made a decision. I gave her a tiny little um, Gideon's Bible. We didn't have a big budget, so we had a box of Gideon's Bibles. And I, I circled a verse in it, and I said, Erica, if you memorize this verse, I'm going to give you a prize. Yes, I will bribe to get God's word in their heart. <laughs> you do what it takes. I did. I told her, I'll, I'll give you a prize. And it was a couple weeks later. I, it was a Sunday morning early. I got to the church, and I was standing there, and I was discouraged. I had had a really hard week, and I was like, Lord, should I still be doing this? This is hard. And I, I, I was like, God, I'm supposed to lead all these people, and I'm feeling a bit discouraged today. I need to know. I remember this so clearly. I need to know you're there. And from the back of the parking lot, I heard, For God so loved the world that he gave. And I look up, here comes Erica. She lived, she lived in a house down, I, I, what I thought was abandoned down the road. She was walking. 
and she had her little brother for the first time she was bringing with her. And I remember just stopping and saying, I hear you, God. I'm in. I'm in. No matter how hard this is, I'm in. Years went by, and I got, Erica moved to Eugene. I got to go visit her a couple times, and then life happened, and we lost touch. But four years ago, uh, I was visiting my daughter in Eugene, and I walked into a Goodwill, and I heard, Cam! I look over, and there's Erica standing behind the counter. She was a checker there with a pregnant belly in her probably late 20s at that point. And I said, I walked over and gave her a hug. I said, how you doing? And she said, Kim, it's been hard. Home life was bad. Dad did some stuff and went to jail. I've been on the streets and I've had some struggles with drugs, but I'm, I'm working hard to get healthy again and to get better. And she rubbed her stomach and she said, I'm going to do this for my little girl. I've had a couple kids that were taken away from me, but I'm going to do this. And I, I encouraged her. We exchanged numbers. And I said, let's stay in touch, Erica. You've got this. And as I walked out the door, she called my name again. And she reached up and she held a little cross necklace. And she said, Kim, I never forgot John 3.16. That's why I do what I do. Is we don't know the stories our kids are going to have. But we get to speak truth in life. And honestly, in kids' ministry, we say, um, we say it's not sexy. <laughs> and what that means is we don't often get to see the fruit of what happens. They're little. When you've worked tirelessly on a lesson putting it together, they don't leave and say, that blessed me. <laughs> they don't do it. So we don't know. I've done this long enough for 27 years where I've been able to see the fruit the fruit that will last. For some of these kids have gone on into ministry. Some are firefighters. Some are doctors. Some are grocery store kind people who are checking people out. Some are Erica stories. But I can tell you over and over, those Erica stories, when things get hard, guess what? They know where to go. They know where to come because we have set this foundation of faith that no one can take away. So today, I want to invite you to, first of all, pray for our kids. It's been tough. The last couple years has been really hard. We're seeing more anxiety and depression in kids. And, and just, they're having a hard time. But we believe that a praying church and praying people can move a generation from anxiety and, and from depression to resilience to be able to reach out and love like they never did because of what they went through. And we get to be part of that. And then we also want to invite you to check out our team. We have lots of different roles from behind the scenes to lead teachers to helping out to, uh, to prep ahead of time. But we need you. We need you because we do want to be the best place in Washington County to reach our kids. And so the, the last thing is we want you to, we invite you to help lead them. Today, you walked in and you should have gotten a ball that says lead on it. And I want to encourage you to set this out this year as a reminder to three things, to love our kids, to encourage them, and disciple. And if you're not familiar with that word, we model 
what we want our kids to do. I, I have to tell him my son, he was, he was doing something with our granddaughter and he was, he was getting um, frustrated and raising his voice. And I said, if you don't want her to raise her voice, don't raise yours. And he's like, she just needs to do what I say. And I said, actually, it's not how it works. <laughs> we model what we want them to do. So we get to model that for our kids in the lobby, say their name, get to know these kids. One, one of the memories that I have um, was on Sunday nights, we got to be in church and sit on the pew. And I can remember Jim Bigger, who was probably in his late 70s or 80s, getting up and he was telling stories about when he was younger and how it was hard, but how he overcame with God's help. I can remember being little and when he would talk, I would just think, I can do this. He gave me shoulders to stand on. And it doesn't matter. It's not even just in church. If, Like Ilsean mentioned, when you're at a restaurant, when you're at a grocery store, kids are all around. I believe the Holy Spirit works in ways we do not know. And they're watching us. And they're going to see something and say, I don't know what that is, but, wow, they handled that really different. I want whatever they have. That seed will be planted. That seed will be planted and God will grow. God will grow it. So I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for being a community who loves the next generation, who serves, who gives, who loves. We need you, and they need us. Thank you. Isn't that awesome? I love the way Kim tells the story. But I do want to take this next two minutes, and I want to invite you to pray. Pray with us, or school, or uh, children started school this week, maybe last week, or the week before. So it's a new school year. But we also have teachers and administration that are serving and are working so hard at school. So would you take the next two minutes and just pray over our kids? So Lord, we come to you and we trust you with our children. Lord, we pray that you would bless them and keep them, Father God, that they would be safe. Lord, we pray that as they go into the schools, your protection would be upon them, but we also pray that their hearts would be open to learn and to receive, that their minds would be expanded and challenged in a good way. And Lord, we pray that you would give teachers wisdom and joy to teach. Lord, we pray that you would give them the ability to be able to connect with kids and see the kids that go on scene. Father, we pray in Jesus' name, that you would help us, Lord, as a community. Notice the kids around us. Lord, we pray that the school year would be blessed, that your protection would be upon them. No weapon formed against our kids would prosper, but that you would be present, Father God. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Thank you for helping us pray for our kids' church. And um, I just want to continue on as what, what Kim said, and I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but see, in the kingdom of God, those who would be overlooked are seen. And I love that about Jesus, that he sees those that would normally would not be seen. And we serve God by serving children. So we invite you to take that step if you haven't already. But this is what we want you to know, and the truth that we want you to hold on to in this series is that... Everyone has a place in God's embrace. That everybody, even children, have a place with God. And see, 
I love that in the story, the verses that we read in Mark 10, it says that Jesus not only um, kind of, you know, gets upset that his disciples are pushing kids away, right? He's angry about it, but he also tells them, don't stop them, let them come to me. But he then does this thing. He goes to the children and he says that he lifts them up in his arms, now, we have to understand the context of the culture and what is happening. See, because what Jesus did was making a very loud statement. Children in the first century were seen as lowly. See, a lot of the kids, a high percentage of kids did not make it to adulthood. They would die before getting there. And so they weren't really valued. And what Jesus does, he sees because he picks them up. Something that was left for women to do. Men were not once to pick up kids. But here is Jesus picking up the children, taking them up. So this is what, what it tells me, that just like Jesus took the time to raise these kids up, you and I can do the same. We can take the time to see kids and raise them up. Raise them up from the context of the culture that maybe they're living in and raise them up and speak highly of them and encourage them, like Kim said. And not only does he do that, but then it says he goes and touches and blesses the children. If you've been here long enough, you would know that part of our culture at Evergreen, we do this thing called baby or children dedication where we bless and dedicate our children to the Lord. And this is why we do it. Because the Bible talks about the importance of blessing our children. So if you're here and you've not done that, we'd love to be part of your story and you blessing your kids. But Jesus says that he touches them on the head and blesses them. Now, touch is important. Because see, the scribes and the Pharisees would not touch the children because they did not want to be defiled now, I understand because there are times where Charlie eats and she like does this thing. I don't know if it's like she gets full and then kind of just gets happy, but she'll like grab the food and she'll just like smear it on her face and her head. And then she's like, all done, mommy, come get me. And I'm just like, ah, I've just changed. Carlos, your turn. <laughs> like, like, so I can understand the scribes and the Pharisees not wanting to be defiled, you know? Kids can be messy. But Jesus, he did not let that stop him. He touched and he blessed. And he was intentional about that. And I love that this verse goes on further and he says, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. Jesus gave them belonging Jesus didn't wait for them to earn their place. And I love the picture that this gives us of the gospel. See, you and I cannot earn our place in the kingdom of God. It was through the sacrifice and work of Jesus Christ on the cross that gave us a place of belonging. And I want this community to be a place where people and children can belong before they believe. A place of belonging. So Jesus gave kids a place to belong and tells us that the kingdom of God is a place to belong before you believe. And I want to end with this. In the gospels time and time again, it reminds us 
that we are to have childlike faith. So what does that mean? What does childlike faith mean? And see, when I, when I think about this and I've had um, the opportunity to see my nephews grow up and do life with them when I was in California, and there were times where I would be like, hey, I'm going to buy you ice cream. When the ice cream man comes by, I'm going to buy you some ice cream. So they would be ready and they would be expectant. So they would sit at the window just looking out. They're looking out for the ice cream man to come by. And the minute they heard the little dee dee dee, whatever song comes up, they would run to get me. Tia, that means aunt. Tia, come. You know, the ice cream man. And they would just, they expect it. Because I told them I would get them ice cream when the ice cream man came by, they expect me to come through. Justin shares a story that the minute she tells her children that Charlie is coming over, they're like, when is Charlie coming over? Is Charlie coming over today? Charlie coming over today? They just expect it. Childlike faith is I'm going to listen to what Father has to say. And what he says, that's what I'm going to expect, that he's faithful, that he's good, that he's for me that he loves me. And see, children depend on the adults in their life. Charlie had to depend on her daddy this morning to change her blowout diaper. She could not do it on her own. Children are dependent on the adults in their life. Childlike faith means I'm not going to try to do this on my own. God, I'm going to ask you for help. This is when I pray. This is when I ask you, Lord, if you're not with me, I can't do this. And I know that there are people in the midst of us that are going through a difficult time that are needing God to come through in this surgery, that are needing God to come through in this healing, that are needing God to come through in this relationship. And I want to invite you to trust God with childlike faith. Would you depend on him to get you through, to help you, to even clean the biggest crappy diapers that we as adults can create in our life? that we can't clean on our own. Sorry, I said crappy. <laughs> but we can trust God. So I invite you to do that this morning. Would you close your eyes right where you are? And the worship team can come. Father, we love you. And today we want to trust you I want to trust you as children. We want to depend on you in the moments that are hard and difficult. But also, God, we want to be people that see children, that see those that are overlooked. Father, help us to be a people that is for and encourages and leads and disciples the next generation. Help us to see kids and youth, God, 
Lord, in those moments where it's been hard and anxiety and depression, sit in, help us to be a hope. Use us to bring encouragement to the lives of our young people. Lord, we ask you for help. And we thank you that in the kingdom of God, we can be long before we believe. So Lord, I pray for those that are in the room and maybe are in a moment where they don't really know what they believe in their faith. They don't know what their journey with you is like, God. But I pray that in this moment, you would give them the courage to believe and trust in you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray and I thank you for salvation this morning. Lord, we love you. Lord, we trust you. Help us to make room, even if it means that we will be uncomfortable. Help us to be intentional. In Jesus' name.